Holy Spirit. Bless me and Mike. Let us talk about what we're supposed to. Thank you. From the vault, high atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hey, everybody. It's uh, Mike Walsh, and you're listening to the latest iteration of Talking Catholic. Um, as you may have noticed, last week we did not have a podcast. We were so busy last week that we didn't have time to record one. It's the first one I've missed in two and a half years, three and a half years. How long have we been doing this? We've been doing it a long time. So I'm going to say something like 235 episodes. It was the first time we did not record one during a week. Um, but at the same time, it was kind of nice to have a week off from recording the podcast, so I'm not entirely that upset about it. I, I did not have to rush around. I wasn't pulling everything together. It was, it was kind of a nice way to, to roll into Memorial Day weekend with a, a little bit of relaxation. As you all have probably heard on the podcast before, I almost never take vacations. So literally taking a day off from the podcast was probably as close to as a vacation I'll get this year. So so thank you for, uh, for I hope, um, you know, um, absolving me of any uh, anger you might have had for not creating a podcast last week. But I got an opportunity to get a little refreshed out of it, so thank you very much. Now today, we are, I have no co-host. I have no co-host today, so it's just me. But don't worry, as I have done in previous episodes, when I'm by myself, I always bring on someone who's better at talking uh, and certainly far more articulate than I am. So uh, I brought my good friend, Donna Ottaviano Britt, onto the uh, show today. Donna, how are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you? Thanks I, for inviting me. No, no, I'm thrilled. Um, we haven't had you on in a little while. We wanted to have you on for a very specific reason. But uh, for any of you, who, now, obviously, if, if you're a longtime listener, you know Donna. We've had her on many, many, many times before. Um, the last time we had her on, it was, it was great. And, and every time we have her on, it's great. But um, Donna and I, we haven't really kind of announced this uh, far and wide, but the Diocese of Camden, Camden reorganized uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, Donna and I now have, technically, we have new titles. Uh, I'm still the director of communications for the Diocese of Camden and the associate publisher of the Catholic Star Herald. Donna is still the director of the Office of Discipleship and Leadership. But we've also been given slightly newer roles. Um, we are now a different form of advisor to uh, to the Bishop of Camden, uh, Bishop Dennis Sullivan. So you are now the head of the... Secretariat for Pastoral Outreach for the Diocese. Se- Secretary. For- and I, weirdly, uh, in the head of the Secretariat for Communications. Weirdly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Who knew? My job really did not change at all in this uh, internal reorganization of, uh, of management structure. Um, you, on the other hand, got half the diocese thrown under you, wh- well, at least what it seems like. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of exciting, really, to think about the uh, pastoral outreach. So it's a lot of the pastoral offices that are sort of collected together now. So I think it will give us a great opportunity for synergy and integration, I really think what it will afford us now is an opportunity to serve our 62 parishes, our entire diocese, in a much more integrated fashion. So I'm actually excited about what I think it will give to us. You know, so am I, uh, to, to be truthful with you. I, I think, um, you know, the the reorganization happened because we had actually had a very linear um, uh, structure, which was just a bear to, to manage. So we sort of created just a new level of, um, of 
director, really, in these secretariats. Uh, so there's now seven people who form a cabinet to to advise the uh, the bishop and the chancery office on various things. Uh, finance is another one, and uh, social services is another one. So there's I think there's seven of us now. Evangelization would be another one, but um, but it's it's a great opportunity, and, and it's intended not so much to be a reporting structure, but it's actually intended to be um, a group of people to advise the bishop in in actually very the intention is to, for it to be in very proactive ways. So we're not so much recapping and reporting, but uh, we're trying to come up with new ideas right. to to push the diocese in new directions and where we think there might be uh, areas for improvement. Which and we think there's lots of opportunity for that. Well, Especially as we were coming to the other side of the pandemic, and, and we learned so much in pandemic. You mm-hmm. know, we had a, a lot of sadness and isolation and grief, really. So this new structure, I think, actually helps more people come together and think, okay, what next for Holy Mother Church? That's exactly right, which is exactly the topic of today's conversation. What next for Holy Mother Church? What next for Holy Mother wow. Church? Okay, then. Specifically related to um, coming out of the, these pandemic times, right? So the parishes, to their credit, mm-hmm. have done an amazing, at least the ones in our diocese, I can't speak for everywhere, but the ones in our diocese have done an amazing job of making themselves continue to be relevant to their parishioners and their communities in various ways, certainly far limited than what they could have done pre-pandemic. But during the pandemic, I mean, I've mentioned this a couple of times on the show, that I'm blown away by how quickly so many of the churches were able to to move to not only live streaming, but really good live streaming. Not all of them. Some of them are, you know, kind of basic, but that's fine. You know, they were making the effort, and I, I for one, very much appreciate that the effort was given. Uh, but now, normal times are coming back, God willing. And uh, so these new parishes are kind of, not these new parishes, but these parishes are now sort of opening up again. And, you know, Donna, what I'm actually finding myself having to remember is, okay, so we went through this for... 15 months, mm-hmm. I actually have to go back and think about what my daily job was before I completely pivoted into something else. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I remember, this is going to sound bizarre because it's only been 15 months, but I have to remind myself, I used to go out to the churches and parishes all the time. Mm-hmm. I have to get back into that again because I got used to kind of working from my office or working from home or working from wherever. Um, but I, so I'm, that's part of my thing is to actually get out there. Now, you, on the other hand, uh, did not rest on your laurels, and you have actually been out in the parishes quite a bit. I've gone to a number of parishes now over the last really over the probably the last eight weeks, 10 weeks now. I mean, I, like you, I spent my life on Zoom. Yeah. So here's the thing for someone like me in the pastoral space for the diocese is people are literally my oxygen. Yeah. People are my oxygen. And so that's where I thrive is to be with people, to, to talk with them, to share with them, to think about what comes next, help them create their plans, you know, and really be on holy journeys. And well, it was doable on Zoom, but mm. it was a real transition for me. And you can create connection virtually. And I think what the pandemic has taught us is that at the parish level, you're really gonna have to think about how you, do, how you continue to do both. You're going to need to continue to do a little bit of both to engage your parishioners and engage your, um, your community, your broader community. So uh, the one example I would give is, um, there's one parish in particular, so um, soon I will have my article done for the Catholic Star Herald, but I want to highlight St. Teresa of Calcutta. 
uh-huh. talking about them here, is they really went into Lent creating small faith sharing groups, every bit of it done on Zoom. And they had a magnificent experience. I interviewed the small le- group leaders. I interviewed participants and why they signed up. I mean, these people really shared very, very candidly some very intimate details of what it was like to do this. And what I find so fascinating about it is they're really gonna have to solve now for these, these groups that wanna continue for the busy people, like mm-hmm. the busy mom, yeah. who's like, I'm so grateful to have had this opportunity in Lent, because I didn't have that half hour before the small group met and half hour after, right? So travel to the church and then travel home. So really, what does blended look like for us? You know, So I think those are some of the things to reach more of the people that we want to reach, to evangelize and to form disciples. I think the pandemic has shown us, you know, kind of a different path forward than we were thinking prior to. You know, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, that I mean, historically, that's always been one of my biggest problems, too, is I'm always on the move, so I can't really be a part of things. Though, in my own life, I have to give a lot of credit to my Knights of Columbus Council. Um, these are just a bunch of dudes who are blue-collar types. You know, they're not really a fan. Most of them, anyway, are not necessarily a fan of electronics, but... They made the migration to Zoom and then, to their credit, figured out how to do it as a hybrid where the folks who were comfortable coming together would come together in group and you could still Zoom into the meeting. And God bless them, they did a great job. But that kind of, that hybrid thinking, I think, is something that benefits us in, in terms of trying to get more people to be involved in the church. Prior to the pandemic, Um, We had actually looked into doing more live stream masses uh, for two reasons. And and the one reason was the Christmas mass, and the second reason was the the blue mass that we do every year for for police and first responders. It always bothered me to no end that most people weren't able to attend those two masses pre-pandemic times. They were just, you know, one is done at 1030 in the morning on a Wednesday, and one is done at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday. Um, And... Most people just couldn't make it there, and I felt terrible that they weren't able to see the beauty and richness of these two particular masses. So three years ago, we rented some live stream software just so that we could do that and see if we could prove it, and it was a huge hit. Um, And then real life comes in. I decide to use my money elsewhere. I don't buy the live stream equipment at that time. I wait a year. A pandemic shows up the day before everything shuts down. I buy all the live stream equipment and our live stream uh, geniuses. So there is a point to like, I don't, I fully believe that not every mass should be live streamed, but I do think every confirmation should be live streamed. Every baccalaureate mass should be live streamed. I think if there's a sensible reason to do it, if a family requests that a funeral mass or a wedding, uh, needs to be, maybe they need to provide to themselves. I'm not saying the parish needs to do this, but having that openness to these new ideas of bringing people in who wouldn't be able to attend something, that I think is beneficial, and we've proven during the last year that it can be done. It can be done simply, and it can be done effectively. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, all it does is broaden the reach of the church. Right, and isn't that what we are about? It really so, is. We've just come through a period of time where we had Ascension Thursday and Pentecost. Mm-hmm. Right. What's the great commandment at Ascension Thursday? As he's ascending, he says, "Go and make disciples of all nations." 
You know, and I love this line out of Chris Lowney's book, Everyone Leads, is like, imagine the apostles standing there that day going, oh, wait a minute, we just roamed a patch of Galilee for like three years, and now you're telling us to go make disciples of all nations? Yeah. But it took the descent of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost to allow them to go forward. So for any Christian who believes that Jesus took the cross for us, and we believe that, our call is exactly the same today, is to go and make disciples. And that's really what we need to think about doing. So we do that face-to-face. We will do that in some type of virtual hybrid. We Mm -hmm. need to reach more people so that they understand that their faith is about a relationship, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, some people take issue with like, oh, organized religion and all of that. If you're a Catholic Christian, you believe that you are in relationship with Jesus. And the truth of the matter is that, you know, human nature, as it was, you know, divined by God, is very much a group dynamic. We, we, so for the last year, we've had to be separated, right? Mm-hmm. And we, it's, it's been killing most of us. Some people have thoroughly enjoyed it, but most of us have been dying we'll a little bit. talk about who. <laughs> yeah, no. but, uh, but most of us have been dying a little bit. Like, I am literally clamoring to be around people now. And I never used to be like that. I was very much someone who enjoyed his own personal space. Uh, but now I'm, I cannot wait to be around other people. Um, I don't necessarily want to talk to them, but I like being around them. Um, so, but because of that, you know, the nature of the church, the success of the church, particularly the early church, you know, from the, you know, 500 on, it was the centerpiece of the community. And now it's been chipped away at over the millennia because there's now so many other things going on. But being important and being in relationship to the community at large, obviously specifically to Catholics, but being able to evangelize to the community at large by being an important centerpiece of your community is incredibly important. And the only way to do that is to start coming back together, having reasons to come together, Mm -hmm. not including mass, obviously. Well, that Um, would be the most important reason, Mike. Naturally. Just saying. (laughs) <laughs> of course. Um, there's an obligation to that. And anyone who's not aware in the state of New Jersey, that obligation, the obligation to mass has been reinforced as of this weekend, I think. Right, they lifted the dispensation. Yes. So we are all, unless you've got a really good reason, you got to go to mass. Um, and watching it on TV doesn't necessarily count unless you got a really good reason. Unless you're sick. Unless you're sick, which is a, per, and that, that that's reason always has, been. that's always been the case. If you are ill, you can't and you can't go. And quite frankly, there's even uh, I wouldn't call it a loophole, but I mean, there's even reasoning behind if you have to work. That's mm-hmm. a reason to. That's a perfectly valid reason to have to miss mass because you're providing for your family, you're providing for for people, um, pro- providing a service to the community. But you have to make an effort to make it to mass at some point. The um, at any rate, I say all that to say this, is that our parishes are now coming back to life, and you've seen the fruit of it. So you, you talked about one instance. Have you seen other areas and parishes around the diocese where they're coming up with new ideas to, to bring people together or showing the signs of coming back together? I think it's really around the showing the signs, because I think there's a lot of our parishes in the diocese that did not sort of sit back and say, okay, hey, we just have to wait till this is over. They really put a lot of work into creating connection 
and community for people. And so what I think is those parishes that kind of took on that, I mean, really, it's a yeoman's effort, right? The pastor and the heads of ministry and all those in ministry, all of those people that work in those offices, all those magnificent people (laughs) that keep the parishes running, they really have done a tremendous amount of work to keep people connected. And I think the invitation to return now to Mass, if if those folks have not already returned, right, this is the weekend to return. You mm-hmm. no longer are dispensed, yeah. you know, from attending Mass. If you look at some of the things that they're doing, I mean, I've seen some parishes really kind of kind of lay things out and communicate with their parishioners, like, we missed you. Like, let's come back together. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a great sense of invitation that's coming from a number of parishes over these next couple of weeks. Um, There are other parishes that, you know, to your point, that are trying to create this, okay, for our people that want to gather on campus face-to-face, we've got stuff, right? So things are coming back into play. But they've also taken into consideration those who are unwilling right or can't right can't either can't get there um i've seen parishes that are really trying to create the opportunity for some parishioners to go get those parishioners who have no way to get there but want to come i mean so it's all about so pope francis talks a lot about we're the mission hospital Okay, there's a whole lot of wounded everywhere all around us. So I think new ministries are going to start as a result of this. There was a lot of outreach that took place. And I think for for anybody who's in the space of of bringing your gifts and bringing your talents into the parish and recognizing how many people – routinely were attending Mass, you know, leading up to the pandemic, but didn't really necessarily belong to anything – and like they weren't part of a ministry or people they weren't known yeah okay so i want to talk about how important it is to know people that are in your parish oh man right pre-pandemic i did my best not to be not to know people but that's your nature mike and we all know that we forgive you for it (laughs) and we pray for you for it and actually i always appreciated for the people who recognized that 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 was my nature and ignored it and came and (laughs) tried to get me into things anyway the knights of columbus the diocesan softball league all sorts of different things that people like would would and because truth of the matter is as someone who's a bit introverted, uh, I have enjoyed every single thing I've ever taken part in in parish life. Yeah. Every single thing. And what is the purpose of parish, right? Parish life is really intended to make people holy, right? Yeah. It's all to contribute to people's holiness. and But it's also to create a sense of belonging. You know, there, there's a lot, there's really a lot of wonderful apostolates out there that are trying to help parishes think about what they do. Like even in the space, Mike, of communications, it's like, okay, your communications should be an evangelizing tool. Everything about it should be invitational, creating, like you could look at a parish's communications and think, wow, I want to belong there. Yeah. So you really need to look at the, your communications on your Facebook page, on your web page, or if you're using one of those tools, I guess like Flocknote or mm-hmm. My Parish apps, you know, what about that would draw people in? Right? We really need to look at that. And I also think parishes are going to have to take into some consideration um, what are the things that we're doing. And if it isn't about outreach, creating a sense of belonging, and forming disciples, you really need to think about why you're doing it. Yeah. Because that's really what we're supposed to do. It is the great commandment. And so everything that we do in parish life should be about those things. Yeah. I, I, 
I remember, you know, we, we kind of talk pre, during, and post-pandemic nowadays, but but at all times, it's I've always had an issue with any entity, Catholic or otherwise, that's seemed to pride itself in being exclusionary. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really not what our nature is, and it certainly was not the nature that of the mission that Christ gave us. Was not to, I mean, it, he says it <laughs> all the time. You look at his apostles, and it's like, these are some, you know, fellows with interesting backgrounds, but, you know, he was still open, and the idea was to be open to bring people in and educate them. That's the key. You have to understand, or we all need to understand, rather, that bringing people in, particularly people who may not necessarily show themselves as great Catholics, it's our opportunity to encourage them to make disciples of them, to bring Mm -hmm. them on board. That's really what we're doing and showcasing the beauty and wonderment that is the the Catholic Church and the faith and Jesus and God and everything that's relevant to, to, to what it is we do here. So I'm very hopeful. I'm actually looking forward to it because I've, I've decided that I'm, that's going to be my goal is to the schools are pretty much, you know, all closing for the season. So I won't be out to the schools at all. So this summer, my intention is to make it out to as many parishes as possible. Now, I'm, I'm fortunate in my role that um, next week I will be, I think you are too, uh, be meeting with all the business managers of the parishes of the mm-hmm. diocese. Matter of fact, the HR director put that together and she says to me, she, she goes, are you going to have any slides? I go, eh, I don't usually present with slides, but I probably should. Eh, I'll get back to you. Yeah, I'll come up with yeah. some slides. I'm going to have a few. Although, I was just, as you were talking about the importance of communication and what its nature should be, mm-hmm. as you were saying, I was thinking, oh, maybe Donna could give my presentation for me because that was <laughs> perfect. Because I'm going gonna, I'm li- I'm gonna to cut that out and steal it for my presentation later. But you're absolutely right. I mean, mm-hmm. you need to, people right now, particularly right now, people need to be encouraged. I think most people are happy. They're, they seem to be getting happier with how our lives are going which is a good thing Mm -hmm. you live down the shore shore is packed this weekend weren't you happy with that oh absolutely we're packed although it was really hard to go places and find a place to park i will tell you that we went downtown to go pick up some lunch we just wanted to take it home Mm because this place doesn't have its indoor seating set up yet because it's it's a very small place we were having vietnamese and we hadn't had it yet so we wanted to go and get it okay we had to go downtown my husband joe he just kept circling the block with his car (laughs) until i showed up on the sidewalk with the box of takeout you know so that's how crowded we are i think you two need to invest in vespas a couple of little scooters oh, no. with a little thing on the back. No. Oh, yeah. I could see you and Joe just with your little tiny helmets on, oh. just, just whizzing down uh, Asbury Avenue. There will there will come the day. So, so am I allowed no, to talk no. about this? Now, Vespas. I'm not saying larks. I'm not saying like... No, not those. But I will tell you, I've been talking about them. Like my, my husband bought me a bike two years ago for my birthday. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, it's too bad we didn't put one of those little electric motors on there. Guess what he's doing for my birthday this is summer? Is he really? He's putting in a little electric motor on that my bike. Very very kind. So, what a good man. I'm like, well, it can't just be my bike. It has to be yours, too. So we actually could go all the way downtown, eat lunch on a bench, and make it all the way home without needing to take the car. Wait a second. Wait a second. I have, I have biked around Ocean City most of my childhood and adult life. And we do that. It's on windy days that you're like, oh, nah, yeah, it's yeah, entirely yeah. too hard. So yeah. we'll, we would go out more. Yeah. And we're still going to pedal. Mm-hmm. It's just when the wind is tough, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, no, flip a switch. I still think the Vespa's the way to go. I think you guys want to really consider that. Yeah, but it kind of has a very Italian feel to it. That would work for me. My, I know. Ar- my Irish husband, probably not so much. Well, <laughs> you know, 
he needs to he needs to he needs to convert to the I I love it. That's one of the things I've I'm I live in a college town now and I've routinely thought to myself, boy, if I had a Vespa. Of course, I'm also a little overweight, so I really need to be biking places and walking places. So I don't think the Vespa would work to my health. But no, um, but it would be cool. But I love a good Vespa. Get around better than the car. But see, this is my point. You and I, particularly me, I am known far and wide as jaded and angry. I am so happy right now. I'm happy, not because I'm with you, but I'm happy. I figured that. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm happy because, you know, things are starting to get back to normal. Our parishes are going to start getting back to normal. But none of that happens unless the people take an active role in it. You know, the pastor can, and you and I have said this for years, Mm -hmm. the pastor can only do so much. You know, he cannot be everywhere. He cannot do everything. It is very important that people like you and I, or better than us, or worse than us, um, are are being are taking an active role in their parishes, right? So let's talk about that for a little bit. And I really think um, that something things at a parish level could happen for all the people that have labored so hard through the pandemic at the parish level, because a lot of people sort of evaporated into the ether, yeah. you know, because we needed to be a part. So look at those at the parish and the way they have labored. Mm-hmm. They really have. I think I think it would be really beneficial to kind of at the parish level to do something wonderful for them, like a half day retreat and just give them an opportunity to be spiritually fed as we reopen, as more people gather, because they really, they poured themselves into what needed to happen at the parish. So a way of refreshment for them. I think that's that would be a really wonderful thing. I love that idea. Is for all the people that served in ministry in the pandemic, mm-hmm is to just gather and have a spiritual day for them. And I would say about that, for anybody who thinks they don't have the time for that, make the time. You need this kind of time. You have labored long. And a lot of times through sad things, even look at the, the staff and those in bereavement ministry and pastors that did all of those funerals in the early days of the Mm -hmm. pandemic when we lost so many people, Um, just, just to go and be uplifted. And to be nourished and fed. Like, that's a really great thing to take on at the parish level. All right. Now, I'm going to say something. I come up with dumb ideas all the time. But I, listening to you talk, you know, the way you re- refer to it, this isn't necessarily where you're going with it, but it got me to thinking about, like, military campaigns, right? And, and military, when you participate in a military campaign, they give you a ribbon, right? Like, you get a certain ribbon for whatever you're a part of and stuff like that. There are people who absolutely deserve to be recognized with... And a, a military-style award for the work they did during the pandemic to keep their parishes going, um, to k- keep the ministries going. I mean, you look at my co-host, uh, Carrie Janice. She was – she would not be stopped in terms of figuring out ways of keeping the youth ministry program, the many youth ministry programs in her parish alive in the middle of a pandemic when she was forbidden – as we all were, from having anything together. And her youth ministry is as, as strong as it is as, is now, as strong as it was then prior to the pandemic. And it has everything to do with the amount of work and effort she put in. And she's not alone. There are lots of people in many different ministries, but people like that really do deserve a lot of credit for what they did. And you are absolutely right. They not only deserve to be recognized for that, uh, they also deserve... <laughs> They deserve a retreat. You're absolutely right. I I think so. And the other thing that 
You know, and I have been working in the church space for very long, right, a couple of years now. Um, we don't do enough to recognize those efforts. So I come out of a corporate background, Mike, like you do. Mm-hmm. Okay, you got recognized for doing good things. And I know, and I know we're Catholic, and, you know, we're seeking our humility. But what is humility? Humility is just, is not to think less of yourself, but just that you don't think you're better than other people, right? right? And humility before God, and humility before our brothers and sisters in the mystical body of Christ. But I'll tell you, it goes a long way to recognize kind of the yeoman's effort, the quiet work that goes on. And not everybody needs it, you know, but it's really nice to recognize. So the whole idea of a retreat or people that just kind of really went above and beyond during the pandemic, like, thank you. Thank you. You are, man, we really need to have a meeting with the bishop soon. Um, You are, (laughs) you are, you're absolutely right because they do, and listen, I don't know when that will ever happen in this diocese or any other. So Don and I will tell you right now, those of you who went above and beyond um, during the pandemic have our complete and total appreciation for everything that you did. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, in my, in, you and I were both working the job. Now, listen, I'm a guy who always says stuff like, hey, I get thanked every two weeks. It comes with the bishop's name is on it. It comes in the mail or it goes directly into my bank account. That's my thank you. Thank you. Yep, you've got, you're welcome. That's what I say. Every two weeks I say, you're welcome. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that, that it really isn't an appreciation. That's my job. But well, I wouldn't have been able to do my job if the people in the parishes weren't doing theirs. And we wouldn't have work to do, Mike. <laughs> also, a very good point. We would not have work to do. Uh, and my job completely changed. So, like, you know, in the in the run-up to the pandemic, I was doing a lot of crisis communication. Like, like it was just that high stress. There was a bunch of stuff going on, and I was constantly stressed out. In the pandemic, it was still – it was a different form of crisis mm-hmm. communication, but it was it, – it was, it was always there, but it wasn't the high intensity that I usually have to deal with. Um so I'm I'm now trying to retrain my brain into what my job is and stuff like that. And the people in the parishes, it's going to be the same thing. They're going to have, they're going to be reminded of old headaches that they forgot that they had back in the day. Because typically, when we look at the past, we think of our the good times and stuff like that. Well, putting that event together, as I recall, always had a a lot of stress to it. And we may we always will think about how like you and I put together the convocation mm-hmm. on for in South Jersey. I only re- I. I mostly remember all of the good times, mostly. but I, I also remember like, you know, there were some, there were some difficulties. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be faced with those again. And I think it'll be important for people to remember to be, you know, yeah, you're going to have new stresses or old stresses that are going to come back, but aren't they going to, aren't you going to be happy that they're there? Isn't that what we all wanted? Yeah. We're like, oh, I need people. Like I said, people are my oxygen. Okay. I so am grateful to gather now. Like I was out at... Um, Christ the Redeemer for one night of their Saint Rita of Cassia Novena. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm with people. Yeah. And we were outside and it was beautiful and we were in the Rose Garden and all these people were gathered to do this beautiful Holy Novena to Saint Rita, all these dedicated souls. And it was just good to be with people because we weren't designed. God didn't design us to be isolated and alone. Yeah. He designed us to be together and in community and to care for one another. Yeah. And really, I think... There's really going to be a lot of healing that actually needs to happen going forward. So what are parishes going to do going forward? How are they looking beyond their parish campus? Do they know who hasn't returned? Do they know who's not returning? Like, okay, now the dispensation's been lifted. Who do you know that you don't see? Yeah. Who are you calling to find out where they are? 
who are you calling to invite them to return to mass? You'll come, you'll take them, go to breakfast after, whatever you're comfortable with. I think we really need to think about being invitational mm -hmm. and really notice who's not there. Maybe all of the uh, parishes need to start having or, or need to have like a massive uh, pancake breakfast to, for some time during the summertime. Just invite yeah. people back. I mean, literally, I mean, so, it, it may be, listen, I know we we talk all the time about, you know, the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith, right? Um, but the, the, as humans, we are faced with human nature and human nature tends to be homeostatic, which is we want to, we, we, we want what is always there. We do not enjoy change. The pandemic was change that was foisted upon us. There was nothing we could do about it. We were locked into this. This is what we had to deal with. And we all got used to that. And now, so the, our original homeostasis was broken, the pre-pandemic. Now we have a new homeostasis. For anybody who's wondering, yes, I really enjoy science books. Um, and then, and now we have a new homeostasis. And it's just going to be the nature, it's, it's the nature of human nature, which is there are people who are just simply will have gotten used to not coming back to mass or not participating in parish life. And we're going to have to go above and beyond to invite some of them back. Now, I was thrilled when I went to mass this weekend at how many people were there. And I've been thrilled every single church I've been to in the last couple of months, seeing just how full they were um, within, you know, guidelines, but just how full they were that my worst fears when the pandemic happened don't seem to have been realized. But my guess is there's probably 20% of each parish that maybe we may need to work a little harder to get back into, into church. Yeah, and I think, and, and so part of that is how do, we, how do we go back and get those folks to return? Because we know that there are people that think attending Mass online is fine through their phone, through their TV, and all of that. And it's not the same. We have a bigger underlying issue with that, though. For those that can return that choose not to is, what do you believe about the Eucharist? Right. Right? So that's a real challenge that, that faces us because we know what the church teaches. And But do we believe it? Right. Do we believe that the Eucharist is body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus? And if you believe it, then how could you stay away? You're absolutely right. I, I, but I think, you know, one of the dangers we have in our faith right now is a, a lack of catechism that, that we, the catechism is there, but some people just don't understand these, well, we can, and you know, there's Pew research on this prior to the pandemic mm -hmm. and it was shown that nobody seemed to understand what the Eucharist was, um, or not nobody, but there was a large portion of Catholics that didn't understand what the Eucharist was. And that is a that is a clarion call for us to do a better job of educating people about why it's so important to come to mass mm -hmm. once a week, why it's so much so important to, to to take communion, why it's so important that you are in the right state to receive communion when you go to communion. Um, and these are all these are not small things. Like so, in my role, which is not well, you might dispute this, but my role is not evangelical in that regard. My, I'm not, I, I'm not a catechist, and I don't proclaim to be. I was thinking, I was listening to another uh, pod, Catholic podcast this weekend, and um, I was listening to the host, and I was listening to the guests, and I thought to myself, "Wow, talking Catholic doesn't sound anything like that." Because we don't really get into. I mean, we do get. I don't get into it. Let me. Pray. Our guests get into catechism and understanding and evangel evangelization. But that's not, I'm supposed to be the, my role as a host, as I've always felt, was to be an avatar for the, the least of our listeners. 
which is if there is someone who really doesn't understand the Catholic Church, I'm supposed to ask the questions that will inspire that person to, oh, that's what that means. So going back to my point about human nature, I think that there are people who don't understand the catechism, and then I think, but that that is the reason why they come, and then there, I think there are people who have, let me phrase that, I think there are people who come because they understand the catechism. Then I think there are people who come because of the sense of community, who don't understand the catechism. I think the people who understand it, who understand the catechism, understand what the Eucharist is, I think we can expect them to return. My worry is the people who don't understand, who came for the community, and they can't find that community there any longer. Or the parish hasn't worked hard enough or quickly enough to rebuild that post-pandemic community again. I think those things are really important. I think, And I think everything you've suggested so far about you know, encouraging people to come back and showing people the importance of parish life and having those parish life ministries there, I think those are the people we are most in danger of losing. And if we don't get our parishes set up right quickly enough, we might lose them permanently if we haven't already. No, and I think that's what we're at the real risk of is losing people permanently. Yeah. And so I think there's a big effort to draw people in, right? So you're talking about the pancake breakfast, right? Mm-hmm. There's plenty of people that would just love that, right? Because they want to belong. Yeah. So part of the work that I've done like since the beginning of this year is I sit on a zillion webinars, right? All these wonderful apostolates that are out there and all you know, with the topic of like rebooting the parish and what are the, no one has a silver bullet, there isn't one. Right. So if you think back even to the convocation times, I think there were um, parish teams that came that thought they would be told what to go back to their parish and do, and we're like, no, how could we possibly do that? Because you know your parish family and parish and community better than anybody else does, right? I, so I said a lot of the times to the teams, I'm like, local knowledge is expert. Right. So your parish, you know best. And so what do you need to go do? OK, now, 15 months, you know, since we shut the whole world down in yeah. March of 20, you still know your community best. You can see what's going on there. You can see who's returned. If we're particularly sharp, we can see who hasn't returned. Right. You can see it in declines in ministry or, or any of those things or people that, you know, if you're a well-connected parishioner, you kind of get a sense of like who's with us and who hasn't returned. So what are you going to do about that? Yeah. But I think it's really going to alter the way that we go forward. So for as painful and as isolating as COVID was, I think it blew in some a real wake-up call for us as Catholics um, and for a sense of belonging. Yeah. Right. So I do move around the diocese a little bit. And what I did hear a little bit of is that Catholic parishes have cliques. Oh my goodness, right? <laughs> so we really need to like recognize, it, does our community have that? Are we open and welcoming to everyone? And I think we need to really look for who in our own communities even is wounded, Yeah. right? So what is it like to minister to the people that carry all the different wounded, wounded things we have? Like, you know, widows and widowers Mm -hmm. and the divorced where are we ministering to the divorced members of our communities and you know single parent households and there's so much that's out there for us to do which leads me straight to typically in parishes the statistics are that seven to nine percent of the parish family is doing 80 percent of the work yeah okay people 
if you are not actively involved in your parish, you have gifts. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about a little bit around purpose and vocation. I think a lot of people think of vocation is, well, you know, men are called to the priesthood, women are called to consecrated religious. We all know marriage is a vocation. We all have a vocation in the kingdom. We all have an irreplaceable mission. There is something that we were born to accomplish on behalf of the kingdom in this lifetime. And I think a lot of people perceive that to be like, well, I don't work for the church. Mm -hmm. No, no, you don't need to work for the church, lay people. This is a message for lay people. And you said it earlier, right? The pastor can't do everything or the priest of the parish can't do everything. Mm -hmm. The laity needs to step into this space. If you want a thriving, growing church, a church with a parish with tremendous vitality, it's going to take more of us in our parishes to create that. You know, so think about what gifts you have and you need to come and bring that. And even that, right? So say you're a divorced Catholic in a parish and Mm -hmm. you're listening to this. Does your parish have a divorce ministry to minister to the divorced? You know that personally, that sadness and that grief. Time to get going. You have an opportunity in front of you to serve people. So if we're going to do what we need to do post-pandemic, more people need to come forward, and you are equipped. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called, and all of us are called to something. And the idea that your job is not vocation. I mean, if you look at, if you had like two circles, so y'all can't see me, but I'm holding up two circles I'm making with my fingers here with Mike. (laughs) Your vocation and your occupation cross over. Are you making a Venn diagram? I'm making a Venn diagram. Okay, there you go. <laughs> right? So it's that, right? We have a vocation, and we work for the kingdom. God works. God works all the time. So do we. Listen, I've been you – know, it's funny. As you're talking, I'm thinking about this. That is exactly the example of my own life uh, for many years. So as a teenager, I was, uh, I was actually – as a teenager in, in high school, I was on my parish council. Um, I was a lector for many years. Um, then, you know, I did my usual stuff and too busy to do anything. But then I get married, and we're back – we're in a new parish my wife becomes a member of parish council of that one. We, we, so we, I was kind of tertiarily involved. And then we moved to another parish, and my wife becomes a member of the parish council there. I become a member of the fundraising council because my background at that time, I moved on enough and enough different jobs that I was doing a lot of fundraising. I knew backwards and forwards everything, had, every, everything you had to do to do fundraising. So somebody came, or I guess my wife suggested it, said, why don't you join the fundraising council? They're going to do a capital campaign. I'm like, okay. Well, I was the most learned person on that thing. And I'm like, okay, I'll tell you everything. I taught, I literally taught them everything I knew about major campaign fundraising. And it was a, it was a massive success. Now, it wasn't a massive success because of me alone, but it was a massive success that I had the technical understanding and there were people on board who did the legwork and the labor to make something like that happen. And within a few years, we had an elevator for our, our church, which was a big deal. Sure. Um, Can I also point out yeah. the invitation you received? Yes. I know it's from Jen. Yeah, but you received actually, an invitation. I'm thinking back to it. It wasn't from from Jennifer. It was from um, it was from the pastor actually. Okay. I think unknowing, didn't without realizing that I had a background in fundraising, mm. just that I was a member of the community in good standing, and it just happened to be good synergy. But the ask was made, and your point is exactly right. 
if someone hadn't have asked me, I would not have volunteered for that job. You have to ask people to be a part of things. You may get some no's. You may need to do a little bit of arm twisting. You may have to cajole from time to time. Mm -hmm. But you have to ask people, and you have to ask new people. You can't continue to ask the people who are already doing 110% for your parish. Right. You have to ask, because you're going to burn them out, and then you're going to lose them, and then you have nobody. Right. And listen, there is, there is the thought process for us here in the church who do offer, who steward our gifts into the church. There is an idea that, like, no, don't volunteer, because the minute you start volunteering, they'll just add and add and add and never take anything away. That's why more people need to come forward. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, think about it. You know, uh, how many parishes do we have? They could do a better job marketing themselves to the broader community. Yeah. Well, oh. you, you don't need your staff. You got people sitting in your pews that are marketing experts. Yeah. And that's how they get to serve. That's where the Venn diagram of vocation and occupation come together. So uh, this, this, I think, is huge for our church mm-hmm. in terms of her vitality and in terms of more laity stepping into a space in which to serve and see how they benefit the kingdom. And I will, uh, you know, I saw something and to, to sort of jump on top of that. Um, you have, our parishes have to become, have to be very public. Some of them are, some of them aren't. I was in, I was at a Memorial Day parade uh, this past weekend. And this is one of those things. It's like a pet peeve of mine. Um, there are two non-denominational churches marching in the parade, and the Catholic church, the local Catholic church, was not in the parade. Yeah. That irritates me to no end. We are members of the community. We should be in the community. The pastor should be saying the benediction at every single. Um, uh, town meeting we should be we need to be a part of everything so that people understand that we are a relevant part of the community we are not isolated i know that there have been a lot of things in the catholic church that have come to light over the last few years that have made life difficult for us we can't hide in the shadows because of that we have to be out and about and showcasing what we do for the community the, you know, how many of our parishes have, now this is maybe a little hackneyed, but how many of our parishes have food pantries that are incredibly important to the community? Um, that's, that's you being a member of the community. Well, you can, be, you can be more than just a food pantry. You can, be, you can be offering anything. You can be sponsoring baseball, Little League baseball teams. You can, be, you can be saying the prayer in front of, now listen, a lot of secular things don't allow prayer any longer. Fine. Be another part of the of the thing. Sponsor a team. Show your Catholicism. Be the Catholic group that's out there. That's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. We don't need to be isolated because we won't grow if we're isolated. We will not. If people, if people don't know about us, don't see us in their daily lives, they won't come to us. Yeah, and the one thing that I want to talk about, so I um, referenced earlier, I've sat on a lot of webinars in the last couple of months, right, as things we're hoping that um, things will return to whatever is new for us, right? So there's like the before times, like before COVID. Um, and we talk a lot, you know, amongst ourselves and, and church generally, and lots of research is done, is that young people do not find an overwhelming desire to be with us, Yeah. right? They just don't. Yet, they have, as we all do, God has placed it in us to belong somewhere. So 
I was listening lately to something and they're talking about where young adults, young people have gravitated to. They're, they belong to communities. They're political, mm-hmm. they're gyms, there's some common element. There's something about a Peloton club, right? <laughs> so uh, they belong to a community, right? So because they need to belong and they're finding that sense of community. So why are we not doing that? Like there is work for us to do in this space to create a sense of belonging. And I think, you know, if you look at some of the apostles, divine renovation in particular, they have this phrase is that what we have been as church for a long time is that, you know, you have to, um, I think it goes, you have to believe, then you have to behave, and then you get to belong. Wait, I never get, I never get that middle one right. Yeah. <laughs> so believe, behave, belong. Okay, we need to flip it. Belong. Mm-hmm. Belong, right? Believe. And hopefully that we are a place that you want to belong to, and you'll come to believe because we're, we're a holy community, we're people that you want to be associated with, and there's something very appealing about our belief and our relationship with Jesus that you're like, you know what, wow, that's kind of, that's kind of cool. So we are, it's by attraction. Yeah. And then you'll behave. And what I mean by behave is you understand why we do the things we mm-hmm. do, right? So our behaviors, you, you know, like the thing, things, right. things that we should be doing that maybe in our personal lives we have difficulty with. Well, and that's the other thing too, yeah. right? That the world can look at Catholics and say, you're all a bunch of hypocrites, mm-hmm. you know? And like, well, okay, yeah, we're yeah, all very we're broken. We're, and we we're all the, human. And these things that we struggle with. Mm-hmm. Hence, Jesus gave us confession, right? you know? And he gave us the mass so if you don't understand the mass go learn the mass because you should be knocked out every single time you go because mass is amazing if you are not amazed by mass study the mass that's true and i think a lot of people don't understand that and i I don't know if that's a failing of our the education system a failing of our own catechism listen I am certain that we are not perfect. As human beings, I'm certain that the Catholic Church has not been perfect in its history and may still not be perfect right now. But I do believe that there is a desire for perfection. We, we constantly mm-hmm. have, a, we have, a, we have a constant desire to, to meet God in heaven, and the only way to do that is to constantly be trying to better ourselves and better our, uh, the Catholic faith as we're moving forward. It's, we are, this is a human... It's a, it's a divinely inspired human creation, much like ourselves. We are divinely inspired humans. Um, we have to keep moving forward. But if we don't do anything, everything falls off the vine. Right. You know, we have to work hard at it. And sometimes it will be difficult. And sometimes it may be something that we're not comfortable with. And sometimes we might meet resistance. Sometimes that resistance may come from the pastor. Sometimes that resistance may come from the congregation. That resistance could come from any place. You have to keep trying. Nothing that we do is bad. Let me rephrase Wait, that. what? Almost everything we do isn't bad. <laughs> it's not. It's all, sometimes it's just not perfect as the way we would And wish. sometimes things fail. You know, the, yeah. the, you do have to, uh, listen, the, there's, the reality of our lives is that things fail from time to time. And that's okay. As long as you tried. I just always say fail fast. Take yeah. the learnings as rapidly as possible and then roll those learnings into the next thing that you're willing to try. Do not be daunted. Yes. Do not fail slowly. That's... No, fail fast, you know, try things, because I do think, and and the way that I kind of stay anchored in this work 
because burnout is very common, right, mm -hmm. in people that work for the church, it can be, is that m my mindset now is, my my obligation and what, what Jesus would ask of me is to work, mm -hmm. is to do things, is to co-labor, is to be with others in the vineyard, try things, work, and the fruit belongs to him and not to me. That's right. The fruit belongs to him. So even, even as we think about, so for those who might be listening to this and going, I really don't need to go back to Mass. Okay, learn the Mass and understand how magnificent it is. Mm -hmm. And I also think parishes, you know, really need to think about beautiful liturgy. Oh, beautiful yeah. liturgy that draws those in because that helps with the understanding of mass. Mm -hmm. Really I, th I think at the, you know, at the parish level, you know, thinking about what the investments in liturgy like music we know is important, mm. you know, how how well your lectors read, you know, every bit of it, the word, the consecration, everything matters in mass. Yeah. You know, and I just think I wish I could think of the book that I read last year because there is nothing that is wasted in mass. Every single thing you say and do and hear and pray has meaning. And when you understand those things, you're like, well, I couldn't possibly stay away from that. Right. You know, oftentimes, you know, parts of the missile will be rewritten and people will be shocked about it. I mean, there's still things that were rewritten a few years ago that people have not come to grips with yet. But they aren't rewritten by accident. They're not, people aren't winging it. There's a lot of thought that goes into this. And it's a universal charge, church. So the, thing, the changes that are made are made universally. And there are reasons sometimes they're changed because of European perspectives or African perspectives or or North American perspectives. Um, but it's important that you know that uh, if you, when you see a change happening in the Catholic Church, it was a great deal of thought may have gone into or did go into it before it happened, usually years worth of it. So don't complain too much. No, there's, not too much. And, and can I reference the book that I yeah, read sure. last year? So Ed Shree wrote the book. It's a biblical walk through the Mass, understanding what we say and do in the liturgy. Hmm. It's straightforward. It's not a big book. And I think I think people would find it actually very beneficial to kind of go through it. Look, I'm a cradle Catholic. I was like, oh, I really think I should maybe read that book. I love the Mass. I really have a great appreciation for it. I do not want to miss Mass. Um, because really, if you think about what we're told at the end, we are sent at the end mm -hmm. of that Mass. Why do we come back on Sunday? It's to be fed. Mm -hmm. It is to be fed by the body of Jesus, right? And then we are sent. Go forth. And then we return again a week later. It's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, like I mentioned earlier, this is a very exciting time for all of us because things are coming back again. I'm actually going to photograph um, a graduation tonight and then another graduation on Sunday. I'm, I couldn't be more excited about it because I'm going to be around people and it's, that's always such a joyous occasion and, you know, it's when the way our graduations are done in the diocese, for the most part, are it's a baccalaureate mass for the first hour, and then it's the graduation for the second hour. And both of the ones I'm going to, one is being done in high school, and one's being done at a, at a church, one in Seattle City, as a matter of fact. Um, and I just could not be more excited that it's happening. So, so here we are in our role, we're seeing more and more happen. I hope our listeners will go back and tell their pastors. If, they, if those parishes aren't already gearing up for more ministry. I mean, I know the Mass is there, and the Mass is important, but more ministry in terms of working with their, with their parishioners and working with the community to bring people back, bring people back who may have left over the last year, bring people back who may have left years ago, 
and entice people who are probably looking for something in their lives that, that the re- here's the thing is that what the Catholic Church can provide cannot be provided anywhere else in all of humanity. Correct. It, ju- it can't. That is why the Catholic Church will always exist because it, nothing else like it exists anywhere else. Um, so as we wrap up the podcast, Donna, thank you very much for all the work you do out in the world. I'm very much looking forward to seeing you gray a little faster in your new job. And uh, <laughs> I am. Gee, that's nice. There you go. Wait, I think you're ahead of me on that. I was way thing. too. I was way too nice in in this podcast today, so I had to put a little dig in there. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, to our listeners, thank you all very much for listening, and we'll be back again next week. Talk to you later. Thanks, Mike.